listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. The intention tonight is, this is the last message on the subject of the fear of God. And our text is found here in Psalm 147, and the verses 10 and 11. He delighteth not in the strength of the horse. He taketh not pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him, in those that hope in his mercy. And over recent months, we have noted that to be a God-fearer is simply to be a true Christian. It's not this situation where you have some people who are Christians and others who are very serious Christians. But rather, this matter of fearing God is of the very essence and the core of what it is to be a follower of Christ and those who walk with the Lord. This is notable. Now, this very concept of this presence of fear in a true Christian is notable given the absence of this language in many evangelical contexts. Rarely will you hear sermons on the subject of the fear of God. And that is, I believe, a lamentable situation, giving us prominence in the Scriptures. Because the fear of God is produced by God in the newborn heart. It is not something we should move away from and be concerned about. It is a work of the Spirit of God in the heart of those who have been born again of His Spirit. It is a driving force behind a life of principled obedience. It drives believers to a life that pleases God. And tonight, before finishing this series, I want to highlight one last thing. It is that the fear of God coexists with a vibrant faith in God. The fear of God coexists with a vibrant faith in God. You see, some think that the fear of God must be an apprehension that God will stop blessing. They have this idea in their minds that our fear of God is that if I don't do something, or if I do do something, God will then withhold his good. And so the fear of God is this idea that, well, perhaps I'm at risk. That if I, <coughs> excuse me, if I step aside from the will of God, and therefore God will withhold his good. And so we live in this life of continual fear. Are we in grace or out of grace? And what you see in the child of God is the fear of God. Yes, it is a recognition that we live in God's sight. It is a desire for God's smile and not his frown. But it does not produce such a legalistic lifestyle that thinks God's favor is earned by obedience. You see, we are guilty at times of believing that justification is by grace, not works. But sometimes our communion with God and our sanctification is based upon our works. And we sit and live in God's favor only when we do really, really well as a Christian. Now, I'm not minimizing the consequence of sin. If we regard iniquity in our hearts, the Lord will not hear us. I'm not minimizing that. But I'm saying our standing in grace is not so unstable. The fear of God... <coughs> understands that we live in the presence of God, but it coexists with a confidence in the unfailing goodness of God. And so verse 11 says this, The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him, 
in those that hope in his mercy. And here we're seeing this parallel terms, these parallel terms being used. The Lord takes pleasure in them that fear him and those that hope in his mercy. It's showing to us that these two things coexist. The fear of God and hoping in God's mercy are not mutually exclusive, but rather coexist in the true child of God. If we were to outline this entire psalm, it's a very simple outline, actually. There are three exhortations. Verse 1 and verse 7 and verse 12, there are three exhortations to praise the Lord. Verse 1, praise ye the Lord. Verse 7, sing unto the Lord thanksgiving. And then verse number 12, praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Now these three exhortations then, what follows are really lists of reasons enforcing the exhortation. Here are the reasons whereby you should praise the Lord. Now our text is found under the exhortation of verse number 7. Sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praise upon the harp unto our God. And then what follows is really a description of how God gives provision to his creation. He covereth the heavens with clouds. He prepareth rain for the earth. He maketh grass to grow upon the mountains. He giveth to the beast his food and to the young ravens which cry. It's the description of God's, really, his provision for his creation. He blesses them with sustenance. Therefore, verse number 10 does not mean that God doesn't rejoice in his handiwork. Again, you've got verse 10. He delighteth not in the strength of the horse. He taketh not pleasure in the legs of a man. Again, the context of this section is God delighting and providing for his creation. But verse number 10 comes as a warning to the people of God that as God delights in his creation, he delights in providing for his creation, but he does not delight when God's people put their trust in their strength or in the strength of their resources and not put their confidence in God's. So we should not look upon God's blessing upon creation and then put our confidence in creation and not in our creator. We should not see the strength of God's provision in creation and then presume upon those resources and so then remove our affection and our dependence upon the Lord. You see, verse 10 and 11 are contrasted again with this word pleasure in focus. He takes not pleasure in the legs of a man, that corresponds to delighting not, but rather, verse 11, the Lord takes pleasure in them that fear him, in those that hope in his mercy. In verse 10, that is stating God's opinion regarding those who trust in, who put confidence in their own strength or in their own resources. You think of the language of Psalm 20. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we remember the name of the Lord our God. And that's, again, the idea of not delighting in the strength of the horse. Or Isaiah 31. Woe to them that go down to Egypt to help and stay on horses and trust in chariots because they are many. But they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. So this idea of the, of the strength of the horse is, is regularly contrasted with trusting in the Lord. We are not to trust in our resources. We are not to trust even in God's provision of those resources. 
But we must always have our confidence in the Lord. Now, to, to confirm this clearly, please turn back to the parallel psalm, which is the Psalm 33. And in the Psalm 33, there's very, very striking parallel language. In psalm 33, and verses 16 through 18, and we'll read it together, you'll see immediately the, the parallel concept. Psalm 33, in the verse number 16, There is no king saved by the multitude of an host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. And horse is a vain thing for safety. Neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy. So you see, obviously, the contrast here. The psalmist here in Psalm 33 is warning about a dependence upon the strength of man, the strength of an army, the strength of a host, the strength of the horse, but not putting their hope in God's mercy. And so verse 11 of our psalm, back to Psalm 147, verse 11 of our psalm is reminding us that God delights in those who trust in him, those who depend upon him, and those who rely upon him. That's the meaning of the text. And for the purpose of this study, we need to observe that the one who relies on the Lord, who hopes in his mercy, is a God-fearer. It's the connection between the fear of God and a vibrant faith in God, that those who fear God trust in God. And these things coexist in healthy Christian living. That's the point of our text. Now, the question is this. Why do God-fearers hope in mercy? Why is it that those who hope in mercy are God-fearers? Why do God-fearers, why are they those who hope in mercy? Now, setting these two clauses together, fearing God and hoping in mercy, setting these together provides, again, I trust things that are interesting and instructive to us tonight. First of all, this, the fear of God involves an awareness of our need for God's mercy. And I'm trying to draw a connection between the fear of God and hoping in God's mercy. And fundamentally, those who fear God, they have a right view of God and a right view of self. A God-fearer has understood the revelation of God's word regarding God and self, and they have a right view of themselves in the sight of God. Now, this is by grace. It's not, again, by natural ability. It's by God's grace in our lives. But we come by God's grace to see God as our creator and as our judge. We, we understand the language of Psalm 130, that if God is to mark our iniquities, who can stand? We see God as a judge of our lives, a judge of our iniquities, and we understand ourselves in that. He is our creator. He is our judge. We are the creature. And more than that, we are rebellious creatures. We are those who have no time for God in our nature. In fact, we do not want to do the will of God in our lives. And so the fear of God, again, is a, is a recognition that we, we know who God is. We know who we are ourselves in our sin. And thus, there's an awareness of our need for God's mercy. The connection's obvious. Why would a God-fearer hope in God's mercy? Because they perceive their need for God's mercy. You see, the self-righteous and the self-reliant do not live in awareness of the need for mercy. 
They don't live in this constant awareness that I'm nothing outside the mercy of God. And again, there are are tragically believers who live with the same self-reliant spirits. They're not continually aware of the fact that without God, they're nothing. And they live in continual need of the mercy of God because an awareness of God himself leads to a recognition of our need for God's mercy. And that recognized need is the foundation for then hoping in God's mercy. A lack of depending upon the Lord personally or even in terms of a church life, a lack of depending upon the Lord can always be traced to some degree to pride and to some degree to self-confidence. A prayerless Christian, a prayerless church is a church that is relying upon the strength of man or the strength of the horse, metaphorically speaking. They're trusting in resources, but they're not looking upon the Lord. And it's, it's a manifestation of a proud spirit to a spirit that lives in self-confidence. And the fear of God will not coexist with such self-confidence. Living in the fear of God will always be an opponent to spiritual pride. We know who God is, we know who we are, and therefore pride is abased. And we come humbly before God in awareness of our need for his mercy. So the fear of God is present in those who have a right view of self and God. And therefore, the fear of God involves an awareness of our need for God's mercy. But secondly, the fear of God is present in those who personally have known or received God's mercy. The fear of God is, it is conditional to the receiving of God's mercy. There is no enjoyment of God's mercy without coming before God in the fear of God. You turn back to the Psalm 5. Again, the Psalm 5, again, there are, uh, again, cross-references here that I think prove the point. I'm not making these things up just for the sake of a convenient outline in a sermon. The Psalm 5 refers to the child of God, again, entering the presence of God. Psalm 5, verse 7, But as for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy, and in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. Again, this, this recognition that the presence of fear and the presence of mercy, again, they coexist. We, we come in that spirit. We come as those who fear God, as those who enjoy God's mercy. You'll see it also over in the Psalm 103. In the Psalm 103, again, you see very uh, similar language here. Psalm 103 in the verse 11. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. You see the connection there? That those who fear the Lord are those who enjoy God's mercy. Verse 17. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him. There's a clear connection here. That those who enjoy God's mercy are those who fear the Lord. And you could say it this way. That those who don't fear the Lord, they are not in enjoyment of God's mercy. They're cut off from God's mercy. So fundamental is the fear of God to true religion. There's no mercy without there being the fear of God. Again, as we even read in Luke chapter 1, his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. So in the fear of God, we have a sense of our need for God's mercy and grace. And out of that need, the regenerate sinner then goes to God for that mercy. They, they, They know who they are. 
They know who God is. They feel the need for God's mercy. And where do you go to receive mercy? You go to the source of all mercy, God himself. And they go to God for mercy and praise his name in Christ Jesus. They receive that mercy. Those who fear God receive the mercy of God. And what does that then do? It produces a confidence in a God who is merciful, that the receipt of mercy, we, we come to recognize we are sinners who deserve the deepest of hell, but in God's mercy we're saved, we're redeemed, we're forgiven. We become the children of God. We enjoy God's mercy. And what happens in our souls? We come to the conviction that God is a God of mercy. We know it personally. We've come to know the fear of God. We've come to know the mercy of God. And we have this confidence in our souls. And so you look back to Psalm 130. I referred to this already. Psalm 130, of course, deals with the subject of the fear of God. If thy Lord shall mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. And again, this, this psalmist has come to a recognition of who he is in God's sight. He's a sinner before a just judge. He has no hope of standing in God's presence. But there is forgiveness with the Lord. This forgiveness comes in connection with the fear of God. But what is the outcome? Well, verse 7, Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is, note the word, there is mercy. And with him is plenteous redemption. You see, those who fear the Lord, having enjoyed the mercy of God, they are those who thereby God's grace are able to hope in God's mercy, to trust in God's mercy. They've enjoyed that mercy. Therefore, they can live their lives in a continual dependence upon the Lord. We're asking the question, why do God-fearers hope in God's mercy? Why is it that those who hope in God's mercy are God-fearers? Well, because of the awareness of our need, we, we see our need of God's mercy. And because we've personally known and received God's mercy. And thirdly, the fear of God is an attitude that continually lives in the sight of God and in dependence upon God. This is the parallel language here. Those who fear God are those who hope in his mercy. And the idea here is not that they hope simply in God's mercy for forgiveness or for salvation, but they hope in God's mercy at all times for all things. You see, the fear of God is such a reverence of God that it shuns pride and shuns self-reliance, but it also trusts in God as he is revealed in the word of God. And so the God-fearer is said to hope in God's mercy. The word mercy here is... It is the word chesed that we see so often in the Old Testament Scriptures. It is the word for the loving kindness of God, the grace of God. It is the covenantal grace of God. It is not simply a hope that God will not treat us as we deserve. We see mercy in that language so often. We get mercy because we don't get what we deserve. But the word mercy here is, is much broader than that. It has the aspect of all God's blessings in covenant that every good and spiritual blessing comes as the mercy of God, and we hope in that mercy. Now, the hope involved here is not an uncertain expectation, but rather it is a forward-looking faith. What is hope? It is faith that looks forward. Faith trusts in God now, 
But faith has a component of hope. It's a future looking forward for God's mercy and for God's grace. You've language like Jeremiah 17, verse 7. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. Hope and trust being paralleled in these verses. Romans 15. The God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. And what does our belief look like? That ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. To hope in God's mercy is to trust in God's mercy. And those who, who come to know God, they come to hope and expect God's mercy. They get up every single morning, and I put it this way carefully and wisely. They can, because of Christ, presume upon the mercy of God. Well, that's, that's a very bold thing to say. We should never presume upon God's mercies. It's not a presumption because of our rights for God's mercy. It's a presumption of God's mercy because of his faithfulness to Christ in the covenant. He will never, ever fail to show mercy to his children day after day after day. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. We can rise tomorrow in the will of God in the assumption that we will, help, we will know more of God's mercy. That is the hope and the confidence of the child of God. They fear God, they know God, and they hope in God's mercy. They trust in God. They rest upon God. They don't rest upon the horse or the man. They rest upon the God who made the horse and who made the man. God is their hope and their stay. And so these God-fearers, they are those who hope in his mercy. And as such, they are those who pray through that mercy. They call upon God day by day for God to show mercy to themselves. Personal application of the grace of God. You have promised to show mercy. I arise tomorrow, Lord, show me your mercy that I will commune with thee even in light of my sin and in light of whatever suffering I must endure. No matter what, Lord, show me your mercy and show me your grace. Day by day we rise and we say to yourselves, I will not trust in self. I will not trust in God's resources. I will trust in God alone for every grace that I need to live this day for the glory of God. The God-fearer, living in God's sight, lives in God's dependence and rests upon God for all of their ways. And so they call upon God for mercy to be shown to themselves and also they call upon God to show his mercy to the saints of God. As they individually hope in God's mercy, they apply that confidence in hoping for God's mercy upon their fellow believers. Now this hope in God's mercy is not individualistic. It is not me and mine alone. It is mercy that is shown to all those who fear the Lord. And so as you pray for your brothers and sisters in the church, you can pray for them in the light of this very same confidence that God will show them mercy also. We should keep that in mind. God is showing mercy to all those who fear him. But there's also hope in their prayers that God will show mercy towards sinners. And we saw the Psalm 130. Let Israel hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy. And so as we have confidence in God's mercy to us, so we have confidence that God will continue to show his mercy towards sinners and saving them 
and drawing them to Christ, causing them to come to know the fear of God. This subject of the fear of God is so very, very relevant and important. It governs how you spend every moment of every day. And at times, yes, you may be busy in life and in work, and you're not always consciously aware of God's presence and God's sight. But when the time comes, take the time to think. I am working, I'm serving, I'm praying, I'm worshiping in the presence of God. And the Lord takes pleasure in those that fear Him. The Lord's delight is upon thee, and as such, you can continue to hope in His mercy. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.